0: So as you all know, we, we're on a series called EQ, The Journey to Emotional Maturity, and if we're using Pete Scazzaro's book, as Steve said in the announcements, and, and I love their title, It's Impossible to be Spiritually Mature While Remaining Emotionally Immature, and that's what God's got us on, is this journey into what He has for us around becoming more emotionally mature. So before I start this morning, didn't even have it in my notes, but kind of... Uh, uh, Bumped into a friend of ours who came to a prayer meeting a little while ago, and uh, Yanislav Labiskachny, many of you know, is the Springbok lock, who uh, smashed Johnny Wilkinson and got red carded, but uh, he's much more gentle than than that off the rugby field. And uh, so Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, be careful to follow every command that I'm giving to you, got to wear my glasses, I'm afraid, I thought I could get away with it, so that you may live and increase. And may enter and possess the land the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness for 40 years. Sounds great, but then it goes to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. But from every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, your feet did not swell for these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. So it's an interesting progression there that God takes us into wilderness moments. And I'm going to speak in a moment about the war. God takes us to war moments to test and to humble us to see what's in our hearts. In a moment, we're going to hear some more stuff around this process. But when we come, when Egypt, when Egypt, when Israel came out of Egypt, what were they after? Were they after God or were they after just to get out of Egypt? And so when, we, when we're along this life journey, what is God after? He's after our hearts. And so what I speak about this morning, what I'm speaking about is that God is after each one of our hearts. Not after what we can get out of it. Not after getting through something. Not after whatever we, we think we're after. But actually, we should be after God and pursuing God with all our hearts, strength. And, souls. and so, part of this process is what does he do? He brings us into war moments, wilderness moments, to test and to humble us, to create a hunger in us, to hunger after him, because what does he then do? He surprises us. And so, I want to encourage you this morning. It was amazing that the worship was so gentle, probably because ladies were doing it. So, thank you, Mission and uh, Bron. I think God's just softening our hearts for the words. It's not that it's going to be a harsh word, but it's going to be a word that it's important for us to follow and to understand. So like I said, we've been on this EQ process, this journey into emotional intelligence, and really what we're trying to do is, right up front, I spoke to you about Jesus. And Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he teaches us Jesus became a man to show us what it is to be fully human and express the full range of human emotion. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries out to God. He brings along his community, so you'll see. He tells his community, he says, Peter, James, John, come with me. He shares his emotions with them. He goes on a bit further. He goes and speaks to the Father, and he gives his Father his deepest desire. He says, Lord, Father, I can't do this. Please, if there's another way. God says, no, no. This is the way. We've spoken about this. And what he does is, instead of going with his strongest desire, he goes with his deepest desire, which is to do the will of God. The definition of success in a Christian's life is doing the will of God in God's way and in his time. So the main point was when we come to these negative emotions, and I I showed how the the different processes of how we express or how we detach or how we enum ourselves and all those kind of things. But what Jesus did do is he went to his emotions and he allowed his emotions to be an invitation to the Father. And we need to do the same, that when we hit these negative moments, that we allow those things to take us to the Father. And then secondly, what I did was I spoke about this thing called our shadows. So what happens is when we grow up, and as we get born, we get born kind of, let's say, not perfect, because obviously we have the sin from Adam and whatever, but what happens, things happen to our lives. We, we bump our heads, we, uh, we get insecurities because of things that happen to us, etc. and we start to have what this is called, the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts. Largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape our behaviors, but it's kind of this damaged, most hidden part or version of who we are. It's our false self. So God has created you. I love what C.S. Lewis said that if we could actually see what God has created for each one of us, we'd end up worshiping each other. Because God has created us beautiful, He calls us His poem in Ephesians chapter two. He's weaved us together, Psalm one thirty nine. With his own hands, he, he made us. The rest of creation, He spoke into being, but he makes man. Just this personal, intimate moment. So this morning we're going to talk about this journey through the wall. This process isn't easy, and unfortunately, many people don't want to go on this process because what happens is facing our shadows, facing these things that we have, and what happens is is um, wrong. Wrong button. I tried to change the slide with my computer, and it didn't work is this EQ process, which I want to start to, to give you a bit more of a process because we, we're kind of starting to get into the middle of it, is that when you're born, you are your true self. And ultimately, God has an inheritance for you. Just like Israel, come out of Egypt, I've got an inheritance for you. It's the land of Canaan. But what happens? All but two stay in the wilderness and never move into the inheritance. They stay in the desert and they die there. So what happens is in this process, we land we up with this false self and we can either choose to go and deal with it and go, okay, God, I know that's not me. Because yesterday I got so angry because of X, Y, and Z. Yet yesterday I wanted to do this. Yesterday I spoke to Louise in this way and reacted to her. Yesterday I, I can choose to say, okay, God, who's my true self? And we, we've spoken about freedom sessions last week with Louise. We spoke about the fact that we've got this Enneagram, which we're going to touch on this morning again. And we're going to have those courses that Leisha's put in play. We'll speak about that. Next week, we're going to hear about a genogram, going back, looking at the patterns in your family, dealing with those things. We've got spiritual practices. We've got limits within us that we need to actually understand and grieve and all of those kind of things. And if we choose to do that, we bring ourselves back to our true self and into the inheritance that God has for us. If we choose not to, guess what God does? He brings about circumstances in our lives. Remember, I spoke about... Um, The Criminal Mind series, when they had that serial killer who was dumping bodies into this lake. And now you had this drought in this land, and guess what? The bodies start popping up. God does that. He brings about a drought into various parts of your life. Maybe it's uh, emotional, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's financial. Whatever it might be, God starts to pop up these things, and your little kind of carcasses that you've left in your past start to pop up, and you have to deal with them. That's quite a picture, isn't it? Like I say, that's why I don't do open water swimming. <laughs> the point is, is that you either choose to do this and go to the process, or God's going to bring about a war to put you into a place that you have to deal with. And it's way more painful. It's, it's way more, it's harder to deal with these things if we don't choose it. And the reality is, no matter what happens in this process, is, well, not, no matter, let me rephrase that, it, depending on how you deal with this thing actually determines how your journey goes for the rest of your life. Think about understanding the wall. Understanding the wall helps us because what, in those moments we become confused, we don't know what's going on, we say, God, where are you? And we're going to get into those in a moment. But if we understand that a wall is actually a gift of God to say, Gary, you've got shadows, my friend, my son. You need to deal with them. I need to take you a bit deeper than, this, than where you've been because you've got all this stuff. That's not who you are. This is who you are. This is the inheritance I have for you. Journey through the wall is not easy. And with that, I'm going to hand over to Ian.
1: I can talk to an audience of 750 professionals and not feel rattled, and I've got a 10-minute slot, and I've got to hang on to the pulpit. (laughs) No pressure, yeah. (laughs) You know, the Christian life is a fascinating journey of starts and stops and detours and waylays. And here's the thing, Uh, Gary, I need the clicker. There we go. Thank you. Um, you can do it. That's great. Takes the pressure off. <laughs> and we just have to look at some of the characters in the Bible. Abram had, had his moments. Yeah, he's called by God. He's God's friend. And God names him as his friend. He's called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And he goes through his delay. 25 years. So he thinks what he's going to do is he's going to do, as Gary says, bur mark a plan. So he goes and has his moment all by himself. Out of that comes Ishmael. God ain't happy. Then he has Isaac, and God then says to him, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And he has his moment. You know, Moses and David were absolutely no different. And then we'll pick on my favorite, Jonah. So Jonah is a prophet right to begin with, and God speaks directly to him and says to him, I want you to go and bring salvation to Nineveh. I want you to preach to the Ninevites. And here's what he does. He goes in the opposite direction. So just let's put this quickly into perspective. Nineveh, from where he is in Israel, 500 miles that way. Here's what he does. He goes two and a half thousand miles in the opposite direction. He books a trip to Tarshish. Now, in those days, that was the furthest, most western point. In fact, Earth stopped there. Geographically, that would be around about where Gibraltar is today. So that's where he goes. Runs away, and he meets his wall in the belly of the fish. So, I want you to go with me to page 1092 in your Bibles, also known as Jonah chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up from verse 7. Are we there? So, Jonah chapter 2, verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols, Turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The twelve disciples' lives were radically changed by following Jesus. Except Judas got stuck in his bitterness. He got stuck in his faith. And as a consequence, he then went on and betrayed Christ. Jonah despised the Ninevites. Why? He was a racist. He didn't like these heathens that were conquerors, particularly of his people of Israel. And in his eyes, they were not worthy to be saved. Here's the problem. When we don't see the big picture of what God is doing, we get distorted and disoriented by our pain. Our circumstances blind us to what God is wanting to do, to the big picture in our lives. We hit our wall. And in this particular case, the big picture that God had for Jonah was, I want you to go and save a city of 120,000 people, and I want you to do it in three days. Here's the problem. In order for us to grow in Christ's maturity, we have no option but to go through the wall. There is no option. Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulich formulated each of these stages of the Christian faith walk that we have. Now, here's something really important to remember. Even though these are stages, you will progress from one stage to the next. You will not hop a stage and you won't circumvent it. We can choose, however, not to progress. We can choose to stagnate if we will. God is not going to hit you over the head with a hammer. But the longer you stay there, the worse your wall becomes for you. We can refuse outright to trust God in moving forward. So they formulate stage one as the dare I say, the euphoric stage? We came to Christ. We found Him. Life is good. And we realize we're a sinner and we need God's mercy. Great. We now need to move on to the next. Now, this is where we start to get involved in church and we start to learn the concept of discipleship. And we start to attend smaller groups. We become part of the body. Stage three we start to realize we have something to give. We've got some unique talents and abilities, and we start to serve in the greater community, and we bring those gifts and our talents to the fore. And then we hit stage four. We come to the wall. And it's at this point that the Holy Spirit compels us to start the journey inwards, towards ourselves. It is not you who's going to come to the wall. God is going to bring you to the wall. So I've got a question to ask you. Would you agree with me that right now, as a nation, we are facing a wall? Would you agree with me that our past, in terms of our racial hatred has got us to a point where we need to start recognizing what we have to deal with. I'll throw that question out there. And then stage five is this journey inward. God continually sends circumstances and people, even books, into our lives. And we start to realize the soft, loving touch of who he is. We realize that love is the beginning and the end. And this is the stage where we start to see, First uh, John chapter four, verse 18, where God's perfect love drives out all fear. Our whole of our spiritual life is all about surrender. It's all about bowing our knee to who God is. I don't like the concept of stages, quite frankly. I like the concept of seasons. Because seasons happen to us whether we like it or not. Summer, spring, winter, autumn. They come to us regardless of... Of what we like or want. So, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think community can help you journey through the wall? So, here it is God created community for us, He put us in community. We are His community. Community is helpful from a support structure perspective. It is great to lean on in those winter moments of our lives. But here it is. This is your journey. That is your wall. This is my journey. That is my wall. Yes, I need you. Yes, I need to lean on you. But my journey through the wall, your journey through your wall, will always be your journey. I received a fantastic video clip during the course of this week. And I looked at it and it really touched my soul. And I thought it would be great to bring some of those concepts in here. It's from Matthew 6.33, when we seek first the kingdom of God. And when we seek first the kingdom of God, I started to realize as I started to dwell on this, that that is more powerful than prayer. You see, when we seek first the kingdom of God, he starts to turn around and ask you, what do you want? We all have problems. We all have pain. We're all dealing with a financial issue. We all have our winter. we all at our wall, possibly. Here's the thing. When we start to sit at our wall, we tend to want to manipulate God and the Holy Spirit for his presence. In terms of delivering a miracle for us rather than using the miracle as a means to get to know the Holy Spirit. Gary touched on it a couple of minutes ago. The Israelites come out of Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. They cried out for their miracle. The exodus happened. God delivered their miracle. They didn't want... God, they wanted their miracle. And when they got what they wanted, they turned around and they worshipped the calf. In that moment of waiting, Moses got himself before God because his miracle was to get to know the Holy Spirit. That's what he wanted to do. You see, when you choose intimacy, over the Holy Spirit, uh, intimacy with the Holy Spirit, the focus starts to shift away from your goal. The goal doesn't disappear. You've still got your pain. You've still got your financial problems. You've still got whatever it is that's going on in your life. But it just isn't that prominent anymore. The Holy Spirit, in His phenomenal way, comes and dumbs down that situation. You see, in that time, God's voice is far more important in terms of, Father, what can I do? What should I be doing? You've created me as this unique being. How do I serve you better? At the wall. And when we get to that moment, when we sit at our wall in our brokenness, and we start to push in, that's when God turns around and he puts out his hand and he says, my child, what do you want?
0: So like we've said is that uh, this journey through the wall is often brought about through crisis in our lives. Probably 90% of us. And uh, maybe it's a divorce, maybe it's a retrenchment, maybe it's some unhelpful moment in a church community, possibly it's a betrayal, a shattered dream, possibly a child gets sick, possibly you have a car accident. There are so many aspects that can bring us in the circumstances that can bring us into this place where we hit the wall that we've been talking about. And uh, the problem when we hit this wall is it's that moment where we discover that faith doesn't quite work the way we thought it does. Because We cried out to God, God, I need your healing. God, I need financial breakthrough. God, I, whatever it might be, as Ian has eloquently told us. And nothing seems to happen. Now what? Often we have more questions than answers. Actually, God, what are you doing? Where are you? How are we going to go about this? My story was, um, I... I'm a chartered accountant for those who are visitors. Obviously, those who have been around a while know that. And uh, um, I'm making my way up the corporate ladder. I've gone to my partnership assessment at Deloitte, so I'm heading towards that. And and all of that, what that means. And uh, God calls me into ministry. So I'm going, of course, I'm sacrificing. I'm less than half my salary. Come on, God, I'm I'm doing all this for you. So you need to come alongside and do what you need to do. And I come into uh, ministry, and I hit a wall. And I pretty much almost burn out. And I'm trying to work through all of this. And what I've realized is when we start to burn out, when we hit a wall, I've noticed that uh, I can tell when people hit a wall. They become critical of the local church community. Why? Do I know that? Because I did. You're not doing that right. You should be doing this you're not, not relational enough. You're too relational. You're too big. You're too small. Your kids' ministry is not good enough. This doesn't work. You've got white trees that are dead sitting in your auditorium. What does that mean? Why? Because God's starting to deal with stuff, and this stuff starting to surface. And what do we do? We project it onto each other. Instead of actually going, okay, whoa, hold on a second. I'm at a wall right now, and I need to deal with it. And the thing about a war is not a once off. God will bring you back to a war, or He will continually bring you to wars to deal with different things. But then the problem is, is that wars, we backslide. We've got this unfortunate thing in our home. It's quite an old home. And the poop pipe that goes from our house down the driveway has got some cracks in it, and the trees' roots get into it every six to eight months. Now, you can imagine the moments we've had. Louise forgets about the times that I've had to stick my, my hand down into those pipes and pull out things. But often we have to go get the plumber. The point is, is what happens is, is, six, eight months later, it happens again. And unless we pull acid down the pipes on a regular basis once a week, which of course we forget to do, what happens is, is it blocks up again. Dun, dun, dun. And so our souls and our lives and what God has for us is we're actually a garden. God speaks about that. And he's the gardener. And what happens is it gets all overgrown or the poop pipe gets blocked and we have to get rid of the poo. And here's the horrible thing, is you can't go around the wall. You can't go over the wall either. And if you run away from the wall, it's going to find you back over there somewhere. You have to go through it. And it's often a difficult and a painful process. There's a part of suffering that Steve spoke of with that scripture. Through the suffering of Christ, then he learns obedience. God is taking us through this so that we can get closer to him. The purpose of the whole war is to get closer to him and find him and get detached from all the stuff around us. So many, I've seen so many Christians who run and we go, okay, I could do this. I mean, you've seen it. You've seen in the movies there the way they run through a door. Have you ever tried to knock a door down like they do in the movies? I don't know, maybe the American doors are a lot more fragile than ours. I've tried that. You, you hurt yourself pretty badly. That's just a door. Imagine trying to run through the wall, and you bounce off it, and then you go, well, when you get disorientated, you get disillusioned, and you go, oh, my word, and then you run away from it, and all you do is become more and more bitter, disillusioned, and angry with God and with the people around you, and you move away from community. And there's those who get stuck at the wall. Like you saw in my little picture, in my little diagram, is the Israelites got stuck at the wall. They never went through the wilderness into their promised land because they never dealt with the stuff in their hearts. And God took them into the desert to test their hearts, to humble them and to test their hearts, to create a hunger in them for Him. But then they say, no, Moses, you go. Don't worry. You go and speak to God. We'll stay here. Oh, and by the way, Moses, you're taking too long. Let's build ourselves a golden calf and we'll worship that. And we do that in our own lives. And then what we do is we hide away from the pain and we don't deal with it, and we walk around the desert for 40 years. What God's doing is He's asking us to trust Him, to learn obedience through this process, so that we go through the war into what He has for us. So, what emotionally healthy people do is they actually admit, I'm actually bewildered right now. I I love it. I've got a prayer group. And during the week, I felt like I'm sitting at Sun International. I've got legal. I've got the control center. I've got... uh, the management company, and they're all asking me for the same thing on their financial statements, and I just know I can't deliver. And for a number three on the Enneagram, (laughs) I start to glitch. Because I just feel like everything's coming at me, and I can't do it because I'm an achiever, for goodness sake. I should be able to do it. I text my mates, pray for me. And don't pray for you, take me out, but pray for me that I'm able to deal with, because I'm actually putting this on myself. Because actually, why did they not ask me for that last week or the week before? Everyone's asking me for the same time, but I'm like, no, I'm a achiever. I can do it. I can't do this. No, I, can, no, I can't do this. And, and the wall starts to fall in on me. I'm bewildered. God, I don't know what you're doing right now, but oh, it's painful. The relationship that's just pulled here. Oh, I'm hurt. I'm angry. That person's hurt me, I'm angry at that person. God, there's a mystery about what you do, I don't understand, because if I was you, I wouldn't be doing that right now. I'm actually really feeling down right now. I'm sad. God, it feels like you've forsaken me. And then for guys, so guys, if you've fallen asleep over the last while with my monotonous voice, just prick up your attention right now. We need things like this, What they're called feeling wheels. <laughs> Women are much more good with it. Much more good. How's that for English? But, but maybe you're mad. Maybe you're mad, but you understand that in this madness, maybe you're hurt, and that's why you feel distant. Or, or, or maybe you're scared because, actually, really what you're is, you're, you're anxious and you feel overwhelmed. She says, guys, we, we don't know how to process that. You ladies are way better. And actually, some of you ladies are not good at it, but most of you are. But for guys, we need these kind of things and these tools to help us through the process of what we're doing. So the question is, how do you know that you're at the wall? (laughs) Well, your feelings for God kind of evaporate. You're like, okay, God, I thought I felt your presence, but you're gone now. Like, like we we think God just disappeared. It's actually not God. It's really us. We're the ones who've moved, and it feels like heaven's door just closed. Like, one minute you you're praising God and you can see into the future and going yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like. It's like that music, like. Okay, God, um, what's just happened? You feel helpless. There's like this sense of failure. And you know what happens is, is, often we think that it's all about those kind of moments. But you're going to see when we get to the Enneagram kind of stuff is, no, maybe what's going to happen is you're going to just get excessively busy. If you're a number three, that's what you'll do. Or maybe you just desire to, to do more, or, or possibly even you want to experience more. If you're a number seven, this is going to jump out of another plane, because I'm at the wall, so what I'll do is I, I don't want to deal with anything I could do, so I'm going to jump out of the plane. Sorry, Bruce. <laughs> with a parachute, by the way, yeah. Or, or maybe you just can't think straight. You can't make decisions. You're going, what do I do? That's the number nine. I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm, I'm just ugh, deer in the headlights. I'm not going to make any decisions. Maybe there's excessive serving. You're number six. We're going to get into that in a moment. And then this kind of huge amount of anxiety. And you know what? Spiritual practices, reading your Bible. You would rather pull your fingernails off with your plows. <laughs> journaling. What do you mean, journaling? Sit down with a pen and paper and, and listen to what God's saying to me. Are you crazy? I can't even hear Him. What am I going to write? All of this is an indication that you're at the wall. And then what happens is. Is the whole purpose of the wall is God's dealing with what they call those sinful things inside of us. And you know what? With the Enneagram that we learned last week, each one of your personality traits, whoever you may be, and I know some of you are here and you're going, What are you talking about? We're going to get into that in a moment. Is you're going to have these personality traits that are going to be unhelpful for you to get through the wall, but there's actually some helpful personality traits which will help you get through the wall. So, with that leash, where are you? Won't you come? You can stand or sit or. Thank you. Thank you. So, Alicia and, and Louise told us about Freedom Sessions and the Enneagram last week. Get the download if you haven't listened to it. And we're going to have um, an Enneagram workshop on the. 12th and 20th. 12th and 20th of this month. And more than likely, the response has been very good. It'll probably happen in our foyer area. The point is, is here's the Enneagram, nine personality traits uh, or personality profiles. And each one of them has their, their helpful things and their unhelpful things. So a number one is a perfectionist. So least, what is, what is a perfectionist? And when they come to war, what are the helpful things to know I must stay away from? And what are the helpful things to know, okay, I need to be doing more of that?
2: Can I just quickly start off yes. by saying the eight, nines, and ones, the emotion that sits within them is actually anger. So that's the thing that they're going to be fighting. The twos, threes, and fours are a sense of shame or being recognized. So that's the emotion that they're going to be fighting. And your five, sixes, and sevens are actually fear. The emotion that they're constantly fighting is fear. And they come from different places. The motivation is different, but that's what they're fighting. So to go back to Gary's question about the one, the one is the strict perfectionist. They want to do everything absolutely perfectly. And because of that, they have a very, very deep inner critic. They have a critic on their shoulder, constantly saying, you can do this better. You should have said it like this. You should have done it like that. they, They just can see how things can look more perfect. But as a result of that, their sin is anger. And so they feel angry, sometimes at themselves, sometimes at the world, because life should be more perfect. Life, and, and it makes them, honestly, quite angry on the inside. And often, it's an inward anger, because they can't show their anger, because then that's not perfect either. So they, their anger sits inside, and it just boils, and it's, it's like turmoil inside of them, in terms of anger. So now you can imagine they hit the wall. So what is the challenge at the wall? The wall is telling them that they need to move through it, but how do I do it perfectly? <laughs> so, so God is saying, right, do this. This is what I'm holding in front of you, but I need to do it more perfectly. I can't just move through this wall. It's got to be a perfect way of getting through this wall. And that's what the challenge is for them.
0: So in terms of like a spiritual practice and something that they could focus on, what, what would be things that would be helpful?
2: So I would think, first of all, a lot of um, stillness. Because I think ones like to be doing the whole time. They want to be doing to be able to to move through that wall. I need to do, 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 because that's how my perfection is going to show itself. But to actually be still, to be able to actually go, okay, hang on, what is it about me that God already sees as perfect? What is it about me being able to just slow down, be still, and go, God created me to be perfect, and that's okay. And so I don't have to keep striving to be more perfect.
0: Okay, good. And in, in terms of, of that process of uh, number one would probably feel more guilt than anybody else, wouldn't they?
2: Um, I wouldn't say more than some of the other types, oh, okay. but they're definitely, again, the guilt would come from a different motivation. So the guilt would come out of a place of being less than perfect.
0: Okay, good. So if we move on to um, the next one, which is mm. the, the number two, which is kind of more of the giver. And, and their sin being one of pride, mm-hmm. how would how would they react when they get to the wall? So
2: remember, again, their emotion is shame. So it's about image. And the image for them is about serving other people. This is, this is how I look to the people around me because I'm serving so well. And when they're questioned by that, it's very difficult. It's almost quite difficult to bring a to a place of the wall and a place of redemption because that pride kicks in and they go hold on a minute, I have been serving you from the bottom of my heart, how on earth can you turn around now and tell me that I need to do something for me, or fix something within me, because I'm just constantly serving you, I'm doing things so well in terms of what the world sees me to be doing, and so that's where the pride kicks in, first of all, I don't have the needs, everybody else is more needy than me, and second of all, I'm serving all of you, and I'm, I'm meeting your needs, so I mean. You know, there's pride here. I don't need to actually. And so hitting the wall and actually getting to that challenge, it it means that God is saying to you also, slow down. Be on your own, actually. It's not about just serving people all the time. There's an element of solitude that needs to happen here. And there also is, what are your needs? What do I need right now to be able to hear God and for him to be able to grow me instead of me constantly looking at the people around me and what they need?
0: So when Louise and I were looking at this yesterday, so the number two is that person that, you know, when, the, when you get onto an airplane and they tell you what you need to do and you need to make sure that you put the oxygen mask on yourself before attending to kids, the mm-hmm. number two is going to do that and land up passing out and killing both of you because they're so busy trying to take care of everybody else that they actually land up drying out themselves. Mm-hmm. And so uh, number three, which is me. What,
2: Would you like to speak into this? <laughs> Not really.
0: So the deadly sin is deceit. And, um, and obviously Achiever, wanting to get everything done and trying to do more and, and faster and better and etc. What What are the challenges of a number three coming to the wall and their relationship with God?
2: So similar to the one where the one wants to do things perfectly, I, I need to keep doing to do it perfectly. A uh, three is very similar to that. I need to keep doing to make myself look successful You know, so for Gary to sit in that that meeting and I I need to be doing something, I need to look action-oriented, it's again, it's about the image of what people see and people perceive. And so that challenge again, it's going to be being quiet, it's going to be kind of being willing to just be on my own and not necessarily constantly thinking about how the world is seeing me, constantly looking and thinking, oh my goodness, they're perceiving me as not being successful perhaps. I mean, you can imagine a three hitting a wall and now having to be vulnerable and say, God's actually working really deep within me right now and it's not about how I look to the world. Imagine Gary standing up here and actually being vulnerable and saying I'm I'm a i am i am just I don't have this image of success right now. That's a really tough thing to do. And the deceit comes in where they they can be so busy doing and so busy creating this image of success that they don't even acknowledge the wall. They don't even acknowledge the, vulnerable, the vulnerability within themselves. They don't acknowledge the weaknesses. And so they just keep going. They keep building up pictures of deceit, of of this is what the world wants to to see. And so they're not very real in that. And that, that's also where the arrogance can come in. I actually don't need this. So they, when they hit that wall, they, they're probably kind of going to go to God, well, you know what, God... Thanks for this, but I actually think I know how to do this better than you do. So, so let me just go ahead and do it. You know, they might not have the patience to sit around and wait for God to do it in a better way.
0: All right, and then we look at uh, Dell. I mean, number four um, <laughs> is uh, their deadly sin is one of envy. So again, what, what would be the challenges that they would face when they come to a wall?
2: So the four want to be original and they want to be unique. They want to be individual and they want to be seen as that. And so they have, a, they have that sin of envy because they look at other people and they think that those people have what I don't have. There's always a sense of something is missing. And they want that thing to make them feel like they're actually on this journey and this journey is authentic but I'm missing something. I'm always missing something. And so they can, very very often at the wall, they can almost be envious of the spiritual journey of somebody else. They can want to possibly bring them down and not embrace and be a part of what other people are experiencing because they kind of go, for me to really be in that place of spiritual maturity, I need that. And they need to stop. They need to be in a place where they go, Okay, hold on a minute. God has made me originally me, perfectly, authentically me. What does that mean? What does that mean and how do I give that to people? How do I give that and, and use those gifts in who I am, that original me in this community or for God and for his glory?
0: That's good. And then yeah. number five, uh, my wife <laughs> is... So, what would, what would Louisa's challenges be? I mean, I know what her challenges are, but what, what do you say her challenges would be?
2: So the five wants to take in knowledge. They want more, they need more, they need, they need to make sense of everything. In their heads, it's got to be, I understand this, I need to do more research, I need to take in more before I can make decisions, before I can move, the better, the more, the better, then it's all going to make sense to me, and then I can actually act. So they can actually get into that place of analysis paralysis, where it's just, I need more, I need more, I need more, before I can do anything. Their, Their sin is avarice, which is like a stinginess. They want to take in all of this information, and it's very difficult for them to act give up that information or to give up who they are. They feel like their capacity is quite limited. So you can now understand that God is saying, move through this wall, and Louise is going, hold on a minute, I need to research this. How how much more can I have knowledge as to what this wall is all about? I mean, what does the wall look like? What color is the wall? Um, How wide is the wall? uh, They need so much information for them to actually Get through the challenge or get to a place where, and God is actually saying, hold on a minute, you know everything you need to know. It's actually within you. And God is saying, just be still in your head and get to that place of being completely quiet and I will guide you through. You don't need more information. It's all there.
0: Okay, so the last four, I'm going to (laughs) just release you to to run with. So from number six to number nine, once you run through all of those processes, the sin Mm -hmm. and challenges and helpful things at the wall.
2: So your six is your loyal skeptic. They also sit in a place of fear. Their big sin is anxiety and fear. They don't trust easily. They don't trust the people around them easily, and very often they don't trust themselves. So they're often looking for advice from other people, but then they don't trust the advice that they've been given. So they, they need to get to a place where they really believe that what God has created them to be is is okay. That's okay. And they have the knowledge, they have what it takes inside of them to move forward. But the big thing that keeps them at that wall is the anxiety. And similar to a 5.2, they need a lot of information, but the information is not about the knowledge. The information is about feeling safe to make the decision, to actually be able to step through the wall, and to trust God at the end of the day. It really is about trusting God. Because they struggle to trust themselves and people, you can understand how that filters through in trusting God to make the next move or to actually move through the wall. Like God's got my back. That's very hard for a six. Your seven is your enthusiastic visionary, the one who just loves life, enjoys every bit of excitement, new experiences. More of the same, more of new things, more, 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 more. So now you can understand why their sin is gluttony. The, the gluttony is not necessarily in a space of just food, although it can be as well. But they, they love to experience life. They, it, you, they just can't get enough of life. Now you can imagine they would be standing at this wall and kind of going, this wall is boring. I'm actually just going to move straight away from this wall. I mean, talk about trying to bounce off this wall. They're probably going to do it a couple of times and then go, oh, whatever, and and could very possibly move on. Because it is, it's boring to... And as Gary was saying earlier, this wall can come around a couple of times in your life. Oh, gosh, here comes this wall again. Like, you can imagine them just going, I'm I'm not into this. I want to go and do something that is more pleasant. Because remember, they also want to avoid the pain. They want to avoid emotional pain more than anything else. And that wall is not going to be a fun place to be. It's going to be difficult to be there. And so they'll want to turn around. They'll want to move away from it. And they'll want to just have fun again and and fill those gaps with more of the extreme. And then lastly, your eight is your... Oh, yes. Let's forget myself. (laughs) I was chatting with Jordi last night. We went out and... She said that. She said exactly that. We're talking about all the Enneagram numbers, and she said, Mom, do you realize that every single time we talk about this, you never talk about the nine? And it is completely typical of the nine. That's crazy. So your eight is your active controller. They, they love to be in control. They're very good at being in control. They do it very naturally, very easily. They, they like to be strong, and they are strong. They incredibly, they show their strength, they can be very intimidating, but it's because they are so certain of who they are as people. And their, their sin is lust, and the lust is around power. It's around strength. It's around being in control. The more they can feel in control, the more they want the control, because that's a really comfortable place for them to be. And so they challenge easily. They, they're not scared of a good fight. They, they very happily will say it's black even though it's white, and they'll, and they'll enjoy the debate around that. Um, Yeah, so you can understand now, too, when an aide gets to that wall where they're going, God, I know you kind of want to be in control here, but I really think that me taking control here and being the one that's in control is going to be better for both of us because... (laughs) These are the reasons why and I've kind of worked this all out and I'm just going to assert myself a little bit here and I'm just going to keep moving with this because I really, you know, so it's difficult for them to give up that control. It's a very, very conscious decision that they need to make to go, God, I'm handing this over to you. It's all yours because this is a really hard place for me to be. And then lastly, <laughs> your, nine. <laughs> your nine. Your nine is the, the person who doesn't enjoy conflict. And so again, they want to go to a sleep. They want to go to sleep to themselves when there's anything that feels uncomfortable, internally or externally. So now they're hitting the wall. Their sin is lethargy or sloth. And and they just want to go asleep again, because now this is going to mean work, this is going to mean action, this is actually going to mean I have to go really deep inside. And similar to the seven, where the seven doesn't want to, they want to avoid the pain because emotional pain just sucks, The the, the nine wants to do that because that creates conflict. Now I have to sit in this place of what does God really want from me? And worse than that, it's going to require action. It really is going to require me to do something different or be something different or act in a way that is just not comfortable for me. And that's going to cause the... The stuff that's happening on the inside in terms of that conflict. And so they do. They're slothful, not necessarily physically slothful at all. They can still look very active in what they're doing, but the sloth happens on the inside. That lethargy happens on the inside of who they are because it's just, it's hard work. It's hard work having to go through that wall.
0: So as you can see, that everyone's wall is going to be different, and the way you're going to deal with it is very different. Mm. And yet, in our world today, everyone's treated as the same, and you've all got to of tick the right boxes and move through the thing. Same when you're parenting. If we understand some of these things around our kids, we parent each child differently, and it's actually okay, and it's actually necessary. If we treat our kids in the same way, and we treat each other in the same way, now what we understand, if you remember, if we understand that we've all got shadows, we start to treat each other with respect, and we're a lot more gracious towards the journey. Because I, I'm realizing with, with Louise, it's like, I'm wanting to go, I'm wanting to do this, I'm wanting to go there. And Louise got Gary, I can't do another thing. And I'm like, What? I've got more capacity. Let's do it. And even in the context of our wars, and often you can actually face wars, I believe, as a married couple. Not just with each other, but actually with life, with what's happening. We've, we've faced many together. You've heard the testimony of Ian and Sherry just around their stuff. Facing those walls together and God being, what is he after? He's after our hearts. Any last comments?
2: I just want to, I loved what Ian said earlier on about the fact that when you shift your focus to the Holy Spirit everything else kind of blurs. And I just, I (laughs) I wanted to say that we can so often focus on these sins that we've just pointed out, you know. Oh, Flip, here I am. I know that I'm going being all slothful again. I don't want to do this work. Or Flip, now I'm being angry again. Or my pride is kicking in. But I think that the goal is exactly what Ian said, is to be able to just focus on the Holy Spirit. And yes, that stuff's not going to go away, but it just... It, it, it shifts the focus on, on the Holy Spirit doing that work in us. And, and that becomes easier, in a way. Yeah.
0: Good. Thank you. Thank you. So let me round off this morning. As you can see, if you haven't signed up for the workshop yet, I think you should. Um, and uh, depending on your personality, you either go stuff you or, okay, Gary, I'll do it. But if, if you're a number nine, you'll definitely be there now. Um, how long is this process going to take? Well, number one, is the rest of your life. But how long does a war take to go through the journey through a war? Well, it could be short. It could be a month. It could be a couple of months. It could be years. It all depends on what God is doing because actually God's in control of this. That's why those personality types, especially the number eights who want to control it, will take a bit longer because they keep wanting to control what God's doing in them. But actually, this is God's journey for you, and He will choose the length and the intensity in order to bring out what needs to be brought out and move you from your false self to your true self. Here's the thing. Trials are not wars. Okay, So when you land up in a traffic jam or you've got an annoying boss or that uh, you've got a delayed airplane or whatever the case might be, your car breaks down, you've got barking dogs at night and you can't sleep. Those are trials. Those are not wars. And they're very, very different. Trials is what Ian spoke of. Abraham waiting, how long? 25 years, I think, for his son. David being shot, you know, shut out of his kingship for 13 years, having to go into the wilderness, while Saul actually chases him and tries to kill him. The choices that we make, like I have said, if we choose to go to the war, if we choose to go to those things, rather, than, when I say, obviously you can't choose to go to the war, Hear what I'm trying to say is that the walls God brings about. But if we choose to look underneath and beneath the surface, and we're brave enough, and we take the courage to do that, and we go through these processes, and we have these principles at hand to be able to do this on a regular basis, then when the war comes, I, don't, I think it's a lot shorter. Because we, 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 we know what it is. We don't get disillusioned. We don't get, oh, what is going on and disorientated. And we're able to go through the wall a lot quicker. But if we just don't, and we ignore it and go, oh, God, I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to look at it. What happens? Don't think of a pink elephant. Don't think of a pink elephant. I think I made my point. If we choose to trust God, to learn obedience and remain faithful, and know that He's faithful, then what God does is He starts to inject Himself into us, and we become more, like, more Christ-like as we navigate through this. So last thing that I want to show you is, what does it look like on the other side? Because it's really good on the other side. There's a greater level of brokenness, and not in a horrible sense, in a good sense. Because you've got someone like Carl Barth who says the root and origin of sin is the arrogance in which man wants to be his own and his neighbor's judge. What does that mean? Well, it's Adam and Eve. It's the good old sin in the Garden of Eden. Is I want to decide what the knowledge of good and evil looks like. I want to decide what's right and what's wrong and what's good for my life. And when we go through the war, we land up understanding actually God's in control. And really all I can do is rely on His grace and His mercy. And that's why Francis of Assisi says, Blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall enjoy nothing, or everything. Freudian slip. Secondly, on the other side, we have a greater appreciation for the mystery of God. We don't blame God for everything. Augustine says, if you understand, it is not God that you understand. Because God is knowable, but He is unfathomable. And if we understand that, then what we ran up, when we go through the war on the other side, we have a childlike faith in understanding, okay, God, there's a mystery about you. I will never truly know you. Maybe in eternity one day I'll have a lot more understanding. But you're in control. You are worthy to be trusted. You are the creator of this universe. You are in the cattle in a thousand hills. And so I don't know why I'm here. I can't see the, the wood for the trees. But I know that you're taking me on this journey for my good. Because what I do know, it's not because you don't love me. It's because you love me that you're taking me through this process. So, yeah, God, you're incomprehensible, and I'm not going to try and negotiate this deal with you. And like what Ian said is, I'm going to move through the wilderness into the Canaan and not get stuck here because I'm going to try and negotiate with you how long, when it should happen, and all of those kind of things. So, especially the number eights are going to do that. And if we can land up with, with this process, where we can land up with the Apostle Paul who says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. And that's what happens is when we go through the war is we land up with this process of a great appreciation for the mystery of God. And then we have a deeper ability to wait on God. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. That's why I often arrive in a meeting a couple of minutes before. I'm not like my father-in-law, Evan, who arrives like an hour before. I can't do that. I can do that. I just don't want to do that. And the point is, is what I'm trying to say, is that there's, God is in the waiting. God is the one who, with, you look at Lazarus, God is still in the waiting. And in that process of waiting and being at the wall and trying to move through the wall, God's in that process of doing what he needs to do. And what we try to do is we try to make it happen. But when we go through the wall, we understand that I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to strive. I don't need to drive myself, number three. I don't need to get through that. God, you got to deal with this for me because I've got to get there. Or you're a number four, that you, unless I get there, I'm not going to be whole. No, God's taking you through this process because in this waiting, this is what David says Lord, my soul waits. And in His Word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. We can be a people, a community that does this, that waits. You know what's interesting? In all nine of those Enneagram personalities, silence and solitude and rest are congruent with every single one of those to help us through the wall. Every single one. And we're going to deal with that in this process in a couple of weeks' time, and I'm looking forward to that. We've talked about the examples, haven't we, of Abraham, of Moses. Moses, What did Moses learn? He became the most humble man in the whole of the world. Look, he wrote that, but look, it's in the Word of God, so it must have been Holy Spirit inspired. What did Abraham learn? 25 years. I mean, kind of after 11, he went, actually, God, you're not doing this quick enough. So he's possibly a 1 or a 3. I, I'm going to do this for you. And goes and sleeps with his servant Hagar, and then God just gives him another 14 years at the wall. What about David? What did David learn? Well, David learns, and we're going to hear about this, because I know what Dale's going to share with us and, and Laura in a little while, is he, he was transformed in that place to become a man after God's own heart. Paul chasing him down, trying to kill him, not being where he should have been. And then, obviously, our savior and our hero of the whole story, the same thing in this obscurity and silence. He was a carpenter for goodness sake. No one knew about him. That's why when he went back to his hometown, like, who is this oak? He just used to make tables and chairs and now he's performing miracles. We don't believe in that. He was unable to do any miraculous signs there. Because why? Because there wasn't a submission into what God had in terms of his gifting, of who he was coming into a place where they thought, well, this is who he is. You know what he did? He went to the wilderness, he resisted temptation, and he emerged in the power of the spirit. God does the same thing with us. When we go into the wilderness place where we spend the time with God, silence and solitude, when we take our time and we learn the unforced rhythms of grace in our lives, we lead a contemplative life, we learn what the Bible says about us and who God is and who we are, what God does is He takes us on a journey where He does exactly what He did for Jesus and He brings us out of the, once we're through the wall, in a place of power in the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, there's a greater detachment. A greater detachment for the things of this world, and yes, we live in this world, and of course, we get married, we have amazing experiences, and we do all of these things, and we buy things, and we love things, I love Apple Mac, but this is not going to define me, it doesn't dominate what I am, because actually, God's put eternity on my heart, and I've got another world, and I'm a foreigner in this land, but I live in this world, and I try and impact it with the kingdom of God that has come to earth, but is already, but not yet, it's so what the world does, is it cuts off those particular attachments. And I'm going to show something else in a moment, so I don't know where my slide presentation's gone. The point is, is God's trying to move us, like I said, from our false self, our conscious of self, through to this place of our true self. And you know why? Because in this process, and I'll try to find it, where's it, Lee? One more. Da-da-da-da, there. Did you know that you're beautiful? You are extraordinary in God's sight. And he's trying to take you from this place where you've seen yourself as this and the lies that are there and the shadows that are formed into a place where this is the extraordinary Gary that is the best Gary for this world because it's actually not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and it's about what God is doing in and through me and for you and for me. And so God takes us on this journey. And sometimes it's a slow process, but we learn obedience through it. And the beauty is is what God does is he inserts himself into us through the time. We come out looking like Jesus.